for February 11th, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 241. I don't think it's wind beneath my wings quality. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, where I was walking around this weekend in a t-shirt and shorts, I'm uh, Matt Rather, here with my snowed-in colleagues uh, from the East Coast. Panel, your question tonight. It is Grammy night. So in honor of the Grammys, whose identity would you like to steal? No, I'm kidding. That's not in honor of the Grammys at all. That's in honor (laughs) of the release of Identity Thief, the the, uh, number one movie this weekend, the Bateman-McCarthy vehicle, um, which uh, ran away with the U.S. box office and had a bigger weekend than Bridesmaids, despite lackluster reviews, I guess. And despite, um, what, theaters closing all over the Northeast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. It would have been even bigger had uh, the weather not interfered. So uh, in honor in honor of that and not of the Grammys, which we may get to, but uh, I've been more or less ignoring. Um, whose identity would you like to steal? You have a whole six billion and change uh, people in the world to choose from and an untold number of fictional characters uh, whose identities you can steal. Um, first in the alphabet, drink, because it's not Peter Fenzel. It's Matt Belinke. Uh Hey, guys. All right, so this is, this is different. I, I'm going to interpret your question as being that, that I, I'm stealing his identity uh, for the reasons that most people commit identity theft, uh, that you want to, like, uh, use his credit cards to sort of, like, mooch off his reputation for as long as you can before he sort of catches on and sort of shuts down those, those, uh, those lines, uh, cuts off those teeth, as it were. And I'm going to go with, and this is, this is sort of a gut feeling, and, and you should feel free to disagree with me, a Skeet Ulrich. And the reason that I'm going to go with Skeet Ulrich is he is a guy, I know he's famous, he's somewhat famous, but I do not know what he's famous for. And I know that I've tried to find out what he's famous for, and I've promptly forgot. And I feel like maybe other people share this with me too. And you guys should should feel free to post comments on the blog if you know that Skeet Ulrich is famous, but you don't know how, and you can't really visualize him. That like you know, if I asked you to close your eyes and to see Skeet Ulrich, um, you wouldn't really have a, a very clear picture. And so that I'm going with a guy that if I have Skeet Ulrich's ID, nobody's gonna like. Let, let me let me pose a counter example to to make it more clear. Let's say that I have The Rock's ID. And I want to walk into a bar and claim that I'm The Rock. That's not going to work. The ID is not going to say The Rock. The ID is going to say Dwayne Johnson, Matt. The ID is not going to say The Rock. Anyway, continue. The ID, you know what? I'm going to choose to ignore the thing you just said. The ID will say The Rock. Um, I mean, I, I know you're right. But I, I don't want to know you're right. Let you know. Let, let's just say sigh and don't go. Don't bother telling me that sigh ID does not just born. say sigh. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you, you know that that's true. You don't have a you don't have a lot of time before the Rock calls the People's uh, Credit Card Helpline and talks with the People's Customer Service representative. Finally, the Rock has come yeah. back. And I, I, oh yes, I'll hold. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, The Rock is hearing that, that soft rock cover of Sometimes When We Touch. One more time. Yeah. I'm, try- I'm trying to think of, like, you know, like, uh, do you smell what The Rock is cooking joke? But, like, you know, what The Rock is cooking is, like, a, a small claims court lawsuit. <laughs> well, while you think of that joke. Um, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go with Skeet Ulrich because, like, nobody's going to be able to call me. Nobody can say for certain that I'm not Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> fair enough. Right. Fair enough. Uh, Pete Fenzel, the farmer hater. Pete Fenzel is next in the alphabet. So I'm going to go with the other interpretation of identity theft, which is that I get to uh, look like this person, wear their clothes, and live their life for a summer <laughs> time. Um, and so I figure that whoever I do this to is going to catch on pretty fast. Wait, what? Are you dark man? Yes, I'm dark man. I'm gonna, you, I could steal Liam Neeson's identity. You're going to be able to assume their face for 60 minutes. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I'm not going to have long in this person's identity. So I want to steal this person's identity and do the most awesome things I can in the shortest period of time. And I've always wanted to be in a blockbuster or and or not blockbuster action movie. So I want to steal Nick Cage's identity. I feel Nick Cage is the only right answer to this question. I want to steal Nick Cage's identity. I figure I got three days till he finds me. Uh, and I can make three movies in that period of time. <laughs> uh, perhaps I can make Season of the Witch 2, which we've all been waiting to see. I want I just want to green light things left and right that Nick Cage has to do. That's what I'm going to do with my time with Nick Cage's identity. Well, that's I'm like, no, yes. you, you just buy a lot of stuff with his credit card that he then has to pay off by making <laughs> film after film after film. Exactly. I was like, hey, I bought a bunch of lawn furniture at the at Treasure Island. Uh, is that even open anymore? Um, you may want to make a live action version of The Secret of Nim in order to make this go away. Uh, yeah, 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 totally. I think, what do we make? You know what? I totally have. At the end? Yeah, it I, is I gotta say that like, that was the scariest thing I ever see where like the kids are in sort of like the sinking. I'm assuming, like, like to me, it's a house, but I'm assuming it was like a matchbox. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, I don't know, this the secret, a live action secret of name. Like I would be there on opening day, but I would be terrified. Would you watch a lot? Would you watch a CGI cartoon version of Watership Down if all the rabbits had Nick Cage's face? Because I would. Yeah, I'd rather see a live action Red Wall, but yeah, I, w- I would see Red uh, Watership Down. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm going to take his face off. Is what I'm saying. It's the obvious one, man. It's the obvious one. <laughs> I'd be the spirit of vengeance. He'd be the spirit of vengeance when he came looking for me, when he came poking around. But yeah, the Ghost Rider, as what it were. What the name of the next Ghost Rider movie is? Oh, uh, oh Ghost Rider. I think they're just going to call it Ghost Rider 4 and igno- and forget the fact that they've only made two Ghost Rider movies. <laughs> <laughs> just they, 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 they not only give up the idea of the subtitle, but they go back to numbers and like forget what number they left off on. Exactly. And they're just saying, like, look, we were going to make Ghost Rider 3, but we canceled it because it was terrible. So we just jumped right to Ghost Rider 4. Exactly. Yeah. See, I was, I would hope for some sort of Ghost Rider that ties into a Christmas carol. Yeah. You know, like Ghost Rider, Ghost of Christmas Past. A a very, it's like a a very Ghost Rider Christmas. Is that what it is? (laughs) Um, Oh, man. Flaming Dickens. Is that what it's called? Uh, I think it's yeah, my, that's what it's called. I think it's your turn, Matt. Yeah, I think you need to pull us out for the speedboat on this one. This. We're going to go steal the Declaration of Independence. You answer the question. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I just – there's no uh, real person. I think I couldn't pull it off, you know. Um, I, because... You couldn't pull his face off? You had to <laughs> – Never mind. <laughs> the uh, no, I couldn't pull the uh, I couldn't pull the thing off. I I never had a fake ID. I feel like going into a bar or you know I don't know into a like a platinum plated hot tub vending establishment or you know into the the private jet store or something you know with a uh, with. Donald Trump's credit card, I'd probably not be, I'd probably like be sweating and, you know, there would be a lot of tells, right? Like it would be twitchy and, and sort of nervous. So I, I want to just jump entirely into the realm of fantasy and command a starship with uh, more than a thousand people uh, on it, but no children on the bridge. And only four well. lights. <laughs> Well, make it so, sir. Make it so. <laughs> so, uh, do you really want that? That doesn't seem like a good job at all, though. I mean, you're stuck. You're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Like, you don't have any free. T- Every time you sit down to play your flute, Riker is going to like tell you you got to get to the ready room right away. <laughs> um, what if you play flute in your ready room, and then you tell Riker you need to go to the ready room, and then you play flute for character development purposes? <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. It's there's no, no free time. Is free time matter to you, Matt? Or do you prefer – which do you prefer, free time or omnipotent cosmic entities? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that like really all your time is free. You know, they never show you the, the stuff between missions, right? Even at warp speeds, it takes weeks to get from episode to episode. So I feel like there would be a lot of time to hit the gym, to like study exolinguistics and learn some alien languages, to uh, – you know, I don't know, develop, uh, you know, to have even more romances than the ones that we see Picard have with Vosh and, uh, and the, the, the one with the head of stellar cartography. 
who has to who has to move, yeah. uh, who has to change jobs uh, once they break up. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I have I have several beefs with Star Trek: The Next Generation's um, personnel, human resources policies. I see. Um, one of which is the fact that, like, in the future, apparently you're allowed to carry on a relationship with your subordinates, and that's not a big deal. Um, I mean, the other of which, and like, I've gone on record as saying this, and like, people people disagree with me, and like, to me, it's like, I th- this is the most ironclad case I've ever had, which is that like, you should not have a kindergarten on the Enterprise. That like, your mission is to like go find the thing that you don't know what it is and poke it with a stick to see what happens. Is is kindergarten synecdoche for children in general or is a first grade okay? Yeah, I mean like that's what I'm saying. It's like like I understand that like in the future there are more enlightened culture and you're supposed to be able to explore the sort of dark corners of the universe and bring your family along for the ride. But like also maybe if you're taking on a mission to explore strange new worlds, maybe that's the kind of thing where like you want to leave your children behind and you're making a sacrifice for the good of the human race. I'm just saying, like, you know, we, I think we've done this episode. Uh, yeah, I think we did an entire episode on this. <laughs> we did a whole one episode, I think, but about just... this, a whole episode about this one question, I think. Um, yeah, about, like, oh, well, maybe the Enterprise does, like, it makes diplomatic appearances and it doesn't always talk to Q and all this other stuff. Yeah, but with, like, with years in various parades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a couple months. Whenever there's, like, an inauguration of, like, a new Federation chancellor, you know, it has to, like, <laughs> some space parade. In a couple months, the uh, I may be conflating Futurama and Star Trek. The two hundred fiftieth episode will be upon us of the Overthinking It podcast, and at that point, we are kind of like the Simpsons in that we kind of have done every storyline once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are no new podcasts. I mean, I'm well. You know what? I don't think we've ever actually talked about the Grammys. (laughs) (laughs) I think in all these years, we've always had like live reports from the Grammys come in uh, that like are kind of distractions, and we've never actually cared that much about what happens. So we could change things up and talk about the Grammys if you want. So um, before we get started, Overthinking It program practices advises that all talent appearing on uh, the Overthinking It podcast please adhere to the OTI policy concerning. Wardrobe. Uh, please be sure that buttocks and female breasts are adequately covered. Thong type costumes. Not are... male breasts, huh? No, not. not... It's actually like like this this wiggle room. Yeah, not male <laughs> breasts and buttocks, regardless of gender. Uh, thong type costumes are problematic. Thong type costumes are problematic. <laughs> please avoid exposing blair, bare, fleshy undercurves of the buttocks and buttock crack. Bare sides or under curvature of the breasts is also problematic. Please avoid, and if you haven't cottoned on yet, I'm reading from the leaked memo from CBS Standards and Practices that went out to anyone who's going to be on the, on the air at the Grammys. Um, please avoid sheer see-through clothing that could possibly expose female breast nipples. Uh, <laughs> As, as opposed to the ones on your arms. Yeah, yeah exactly. As opposed to the other kinds of nipples. Those are Apparently, fine. Rihanna has like genetically altered arms to feed lots of cats. They come up and she just <laughs> never mind. That's gross. <laughs> Please be sure the genital region. Ah, I was wondering when we were going to get to the genital region. Yeah. Please be the sure elephants. The sexy elephants. The genital region. Go on. He's adequately covered so that there is no visible, quote, puffy, unquote, bare skin exposure. Please avoid commercial identification of actual brand name products on T-shirts. Foreign language on wardrobe will need to be cleared. Uh, And now all in caps, obscenity or partially seen obscenity on wardrobe is unacceptable for broadcast. This as well pertains to audience members that appear on camera. In the caps. Right. Yes. Not the that, not the that, bare, sort of like, fleshy undercurves of the buttocks. Yeah. But obscenity. It's like, please not to show any puffy genitals, but really don't let any obscenity on your wardrobe. No four-letter words on <laughs> like, the t-shirts. That's that's where we whip out the cap. That's where our legal department whips out the caps lock. <laughs> right. Uh, 
This as well pertains to audience members that appear on camera. Finally, the network requests that any organized cause visibly spelled out on Talon's wardrobe be avoided. This would include lapel pins or any other form of accessory. So, F you, Amnesty International. I mean, of course, (laughs) they're not worried about Amnesty International, but yeah, okay. No, they just want people who are going to have their case, their causes on there to be like part of their strategic, uh, you know, their various strategic social responsibility plans, right? They want to, or they have to, you have to pay for it to get your advertising up there. Yeah, exactly. CBS wants its, its, uh, you know, public service announcement credits for doing this. I mean, what do you, what do you think of this? It's, it's, I suppose it shouldn't be shocking to any of us that an exhortation like this would be thought to be necessary, uh, at the Grammys, you know, I mean, the Grammys, I, I suppose, are pro- like beyond the uh, this side of the MTV Video Music Awards are, you know, are probably the, the raciest or the most boundary pushing population. Of- I mean, the, the Source Awards get pretty rough. I don't know. If, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's something else. That's another matter. Also- the, the relative safety yeah. at the Source Awards is another matter. But. <laughs> Do they even do the Source also, Awards there, anymore? There's the, there's the Female Breast Nipple Awards, <laughs> which I believe are in, are in June. Yeah, yeah. I think it's warranted because, I mean, honestly, like, people got – I mean, when was J-Lo – was J-Lo's dress at the Grammys, the famous one with the big, deep split in the middle? Yeah, I or is that so. a Yeah, and it's, it's almost like uh, – But big, big, deep split doesn't cause any, any – uh, any trouble because you don't have uh, the sides or the fleshy exposed under curvature of the breasts <laughs> because it is a uh, you know it's this what this sort of wrap around kind of halter thing right and it's uh, actually speaking of which Tasha Yar uh, wore an outfit like that in season one of Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> Isn't it strange? That the musicians whose product you listen to are the ones where we have to be careful about what they look like and like the yeah. movie stars. I mean, do the movie, the movie stars probably get a similar memo, but probably written in somewhat kinder terms, right? Like a little bit more respectful, um, you know, about like their wardrobe guy. I mean, what would happen if like Angelina Jolie showed up with her fleshy buttocks on display through like a sheer undergarment with a bunch of nipples attached to it or something? But there's, I mean, this like, says something about the like, there, there's a sense of decorum and the, the Oscars, I think cultivates this. Uh, there's a sense of decorum of sort of moment and, and weight, uh, with the Oscars, that just is not the case with the Grammys, right? Like, and and the yeah. Grammys cultivates this by having the hundreds of thousands of categories that they have, and the you know they sort of make themselves seem disposable and unimportant. And so, you know, who can who can blame everyone for just goofing off during the during the broadcast, right? Right, and also the economics of the music because, business. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I always thought that the Grammys was named after my grandmother. <laughs> when I say I always, I mean like up to the age of eight or nine, um, thought that like this was like her, like she just picked the music that she liked the most this year, and then eventually like I figured out that like she doesn't actually know who Billy Joel is, so um, that that's that's how I learned that she has no affiliation with the Grammys. But yeah, I mean like it is it is interesting that like right there's there's more of sort of an, an oversexed, um, you know, very one-upsmanship going on at the Grammys in terms of, like, who can show uh, the most uh, puffy bearskin. Yeah, I guess they have more to gain from being shocking and alluring. I mean, I was just wondering, because we know that it's important to the Oscars. Uh, The Oscars are important because winning an Oscar boosts the sales of the movie, right? Like, the movie gets re-released, the movie people, people make money. Do you think that like it seems to me that the Grammys aren't as sure of a thing. Like if your record wins a Grammy, it doesn't seem to me, and I don't as a conjecture, that it translates into as much of an immediate financial gain for you. So you have much more of a of a onus, much more of an incentive to see what you can turn the Grammys into. Uh-huh. Like what can you use the Grammys for? The Grammys are not an end in themselves to these musicians, I think, because you know record sales aren't a huge part of their revenue, and like they need to get out there and advance their personal brands and sell their t-shirts and their concert tickets and their, you know, rock aware and whatnot. 
Um, I mean, I don't want to speak disparagingly of it, but it's like, like what? Like I think I think it might be an economic reason, and that that the Grammys they want to take their moment on television to shock and like to get a picture on the front page, right? Like or they want to be circulating through TMZ as much as possible. They want to own the gossip co- column. You know, it's um, it's funny because something has happened to something has happened to music that hasn't happened in quite the same way. The the sort of commodification of music, right? Like. Um, music is, and and I I am not an economist, so tell me if I'm I'm using the wrong word or using the right word in the wrong way. But it's it's um, fungible, right? Like w- one song on is kind of as good as another if you're just playing background music. You know, if you're just using music as this sort of ambient background to your life and so yeah that's not what fungible means <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but any but it means that that well what is it <laughs> you're the expert what, what? oh i don't know i mean when i think about something being fungible i mean i guess it means that i can bring it into different um that you can like bring it into different areas and do different things with it fungibility right? like, is the proper is the proper property of a good or commodity according to my friend wikipedia mm-hmm. whose individual yeah. units are capable of mutual substitution such as crude oil, shares in a company, bonds, precious metals, or currencies. So any barrel of crude oil is as good as any other barrel of crude oil is essentially right. 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 And right. that's and that's actually that is what I intended to say about pop music. Oh well, then I disagree with me with what you said about music, <laughs> and um, not and, and I, not like music we care about. I mean, but but I mean popular music. You know, I mean I mean sort of radio noise or background background noise. And I think that that there's something that because music is is intended to be sort of consumed in a way that is where it's um. Uh, where it's not necessarily the main point of focus uh, when it's being consumed. You know, driving is the main point of focus, one would hope, or, you know, I don't know, working in the office or sitting in the waiting room or or whatever. And so, um, and especially since you listen to a bunch of songs in succession, um, the song song isn't the the star. So maybe there's, there's more pressure on the individual mm. recording artists to stand out in a way that's not true of movie actors uh, because movies, it hasn't sort of happened. Movies are sort of still singular in a way and sort of substituting, though mm. Netflix may change this, substituting one movie for another uh, is not the same way. Uh, but Pete, you say you, you disagree with me. So, so uh, by all means, go ahead. Oh yeah. So I would paint a, a I mean, I paint a, a, a picture to vie with that picture wherein songs are interchangeable, but they're interchangeable in a way that it doesn't really cost you anything to play one song rather than another song in most of the ways that you use songs in your life. Uh, and in this way, it's, it's, it's not quite that the songs are all interchangeable. It's that you might as well play your favorite song. Right, like you might as well play the songs you like the most. So for the overwhelming, like if you walk into CVS, you're not going to hear uh, a bunch of random, you know, I don't want to say crap, but like a bunch of random like B-side tracks off of like you know the the greater hits of Steely Dan. You're going to hear maybe like three or four songs over the course of like a 45 minute stay at CVS if you're there for 45 minutes because you you bought a pack of gum and you stood in line for 40 minutes. <laughs> um, you're going to hear three or four best songs ever, like best songs on the Grammys, right? Like you're going to hear like three or four. You're going to hear maybe like five or six songs that went double or triple platinum, right? At the CVS. You're not going to hear a random sampling of the bulk of music, and you're not, importantly, going to hear the, what might conceivably be the cheapest music. And th- there is kind of a weird price issue with music uh, because of the difficulty of policing it and also because of the way that it's purchased. Uh, individual songs, it actually seems m- – it's often more expensive to get a song that's really not popular and well-known because of the economies of scale are so different, right? So, like, you know, for example, when I wanted to get music that was copyright uh, that was copyright protected in a way that we could use for a video for overthinking it, it took me some time and expense to find a track that I really liked um, because I went to a local artist. But if I just slapped whatever the heck I wanted on the back of there and just put, like, Life as a Highway on there, it's easy for me to do. Like, there might be consequences, but for most music users, they don't matter, Right. And so, like, I would say that music isn't fungible because if it was, then there wasn't – when classic rock wouldn't exist, 
right? Because there's no possible way that Credence Clearwater Revival is the most efficient use of your resources if songs are all interchangeable, right? Because it's both like incredibly popular over a long period of time and also quite old. And so like, it's like, well, you have nothing newer, you have nothing more available, you have nothing less popular. Like there's no pricing that makes sense for that. Um, you know what I mean? Hmm. Um, and I think for things like CVS, yeah. they want you to be hearing specific sorts of music that will encourage you and induce you to buy things. Um, I mean, that's why they play Christmas music all the freaking time, right? Like they would play Christmas music for longer periods of time because they know through psychological studies and branding studies and whatever and marketing studies that if you hear the Christmas music, you're more likely to spend money. So it's kind of a combination of brainwashing and of like behavioralism, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so in that case, I wouldn't see it as fungible, but I'm yeah. not sure. Um, you, you know, Pete, I have a sort of a related point about just sort of thinking about what your job is as a, as a music star, as a recording artist versus what your job is as a movie star. And, and I would uh, hypothesize that perhaps as, a, as a, a recording artist, as a music star, your brand is yourself and that you cannot be too big or too audacious. Um, you know, like think about Beyonce is in the Beyonce business. And then like, you know, think about uh, Kanye West uh, running up on stage and just be like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. But like, think about like the same thing happening at the Academy Awards. That would, I feel like that would make the actor a pariah. You know, be, because I feel like if you're a movie star, no matter how big you are, even if you're George Clooney, even if you're Will Smith, and maybe this is a, a part of a, a function of something we've talked about before, which is sort of the death of a movie star. The fact that people don't open movies, it's always about the movie, no matter how big you are as an A-list actor. Um, that, you know, it always has to be in service of the project. And that, like, if you, as, like, let's say a Tom Cruise, if your sort of affiliation of Scientology and your oddball behavior starts to overshadow the movie, that will become a liability to your career. Um, you know, just, if you don't believe me, just talk to Lindsay Lohan. Um, whereas that I feel like in the recording industry, it doesn't work the same way that you can be as audacious as you want. And this, this all goes back to the point that we made about the, the, um, the dress. And that the fact that, like, as a uh, as a female recording artist, and um, you know, obviously, when we, when we talk about the memos about the dress code, uh, they're not saying anything about the guys. Um, you know that 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 you're rewarded for sort of pushing the envelope and being a bit scandalous with what you wear as a recording artist, but as a movie star, you want to like be charismatic and you want to be um, aspirational. But you, you don't want to step over the line and, and make yourself bigger than the projects that you are part of. You, like, like what would you say to this sort of uh, uninformed hypothesis? I would say that um, it is a slight oversimplification to say that there aren't rules like that in music. I think that there are rules like that in music, but I think they're different. Um, that, yeah, you don't want to overstep. Like, I, like if you're, you know... Um, I mean, a good example would be Car- take Carly Rae Jepsen hypothetically. Let's consider Carly Rae Jepsen and Justin Bieber, right? Carly Rae Jepsen is largely supported by the production infrastructure of Justin Bieber's like posse, right? Like she was discovered by him. Um, you know, they have a lot of the same people that they work with. It's important to Carly Rae Jepsen's career that she maintain a good relationship with Justin Bieber. She can't go on stage and say "f you, Justin Bieber." Now, also, she plays to an audience of younger children, so she can't go on stage and show her breasts either. Right. So like, so let's, okay, let's pair it back. So it's not Carly Rae Jepsen we're talking about. What can Katy Perry do? Well, Katy Perry has a certain personality and she serves a certain audience, but there are things that she can't say also. Like she can't like stab someone, right? Like Katy Perry couldn't go on stage and like when Russell, Russell Brand was, was, uh, was presenting and stab him or like at a party afterwards, kick him in the face and send him to the hospital, right? But like, you know, so like she has certain restrictions on her based on who her audience is and what products she's selling. I mean, Chris Brown could do all these things. Like like perhaps Drake is allowed to, is allowed (laughs) to do that. And like without losing the Drake uh, fan base. I mean, it, it totally depends. I mean, I think I still think one of the best, the best interviews I've heard. And it's a little dated. Is the Cameron interview with uh, 
Anderson Cooper where he's talking about snitching, right? And he's explaining to Anderson Cooper in very pragmatic ways why he can't endorse uh, talking to the police on his records. And he says, when I have a bad record, there's 600,000 people who buy my record. When I have a good record, there's like a, a, hundred and a, a million and a half people buy my record. If I start saying that snitching is good, then like those 600,000 people won't buy my record. And I need them to buy my record because sometimes my records are bad, right? And, and so it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's about the audience. I do think there's an economic aspect, though, now that you're talking about it, where musicians require somewhat less of a supporting infrastructure. Like, it's not as important that you work well with people in order to make a recording as it is to make a movie, because logistically, there are different enterprises, right? Like, you can go into the studio kind of on your own. Um, I mean, studio sessions can get contentious, but they're generally smaller than movie sets. Um, the recording time is significantly cheaper than movie time. So you can spend – like people spend a lot of time in the studio making an album. Yeah, but they, don't, that's spend, they don't spend $200 million making an album. Well, I'm just saying that like people spend a lot of time in the studio making an album that's relatively short. They can afford to screw around a lot during that time. They don't generally want to, but like – you know, if you spend a year in the studio working on an album and like three of those weeks you're high on mescaline, like that's, you know, that sucks, but it's not as bad as if you're like shooting Game of Thrones in Iceland and you have like four days to make this shot before the sun goes down for six months. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a different, <laughs> the stakes are different. Uh, it's, I think it's also easier to delay music projects than it is to delay movies. The timetables are different. The budgets are different. I don't know, Peter. Um, I think they, I think they CGI in a lot of sun in the Game of Thrones. <laughs> Not as much as they CGI yeah. in voices on, on albums. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But your point is I think well you have a point. that yeah. music making is more forgiving than movie making. Yeah, I mean you have to get it right. The thing is that music making is very unforgiving in the finished product. I would say that like people know the difference between songs they like and songs they don't like and albums that are successful and albums that are unsuccessful. There's a huge difference. I feel like you can make a, you can make a worse movie than an album and still have it be okay. Right. right. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can like, make, like you can make identity thief, for example, and it'll, yeah, still, exactly. it'll still win the weekend. Yeah, exactly. And like you can make movies that have continuity errors and you can make movies, you know, that have like characters that sort of come and go and the story doesn't quite make sense. And I guess you can make albums. All albums have at least a couple bad songs on them. But like I don't generally hear of albums where like the recording is bad. Although you don't yeah, see, but at see that movies level, where the you, picture is bad. Yeah, either. exactly. You don't yeah, see yeah, yeah. you don't see shots that are out of focus. Or you don't see like people bump the camera. I mean, if you think of all the things that are in home videos that aren't in movies, you know, every movie is on some level. Every I mean, every commercial Hollywood movie anyway is on some level perfect uh, in some sort of technical way, or at least clears yeah. the bar in some sort of technical way. It's not it's not perfect. And in in uh, in my drama school was right next to a film school with lots of people who like to point out in excruciating detail the uh, the things that weren't perfect about them uh, about you know commercial movies but but they all clear the bar they have to you don't see yeah. the boom you don't you know what I mean like even yeah, once yeah. right yeah so what I guess I mean is that if Brad Pitt worked on a movie for three years and it came out and there was a two minute section of it two and a half minute section of it that was played in every public venue constantly for like six months like imagine how different that is from the way that we experience brad pitt and that's the way that we experience like a music star right is like uh yeah. you know it's how we experience sigh or carly ray jepsen or i guess fun i mean we're, we're yeah. all saying this and like the winners of the grammys are going to be like the middle-aged white guys right it's going to be like like <laughs> the black keys and fun and whatnot um yeah adele won uh i think or is that last year that's gotta be last year am i looking at the wrong page Fifty fifth every year from now on. My, right? yeah, exactly. Does she just win every year? I have the Grammy uh-huh. live blog. Uh, live blog up. Zach, the Zach Brown band just won. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Jay Z, Kanye. Um, mm-hmm. What's his name? Frank Ocean and uh, who's the fourth guy? One for No Church in the Wild. Yeah. What do you guys think about No Church in the Wild? Do you guys know that song? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird song, huh? No, it's a cool. Yeah. It's a really cool song. I think that whole record. Did we is not uh, cool. sing that at karaoke at the fifth anniversary party? Yeah, I think I think it was sung karaoke at the fifth anniversary party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That alongside Bangarang and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sang a lot of the Grammy-winning hits tonight. <laughs> Banger Night yeah. won Best Electronic Album, right? Uh, okay. Uh, By the way, I mean, are there any other Hook-inspired pop songs that I should know about besides Banger <laughs> No, that's the only one you need to know about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a shame. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, what, is there, uh, is there Happy Thoughts? No. There's um, um, I This is interesting. Actually, seeing a band... Um, Seeing a band actually winning a Grammy is interesting because we're talking about these like single person brands who are, you know, who are pop acts more or less. And that there's in there's this idea of like a band, you know, and no person is bigger than the band. The, the band has a, a front man, right? Like the um, people get fired. Like Mumford and the Sons, right? <laughs> people get fired from bands for acting, uh, you know, acting like they're uh, too big f- for the band. Yeah, they do. Um, that's true. Like, uh, like Gocha was fired from his collaboration with Kimbra for his scathing uh, dismissal of their past relationship. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That well, one, that one, Grammy. Somebody used to know one a Grammy. She, she I didn't, know. She didn't have what? to stoop so low. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say, I often don't feel like I know the songs in the Grammys, but I'm reviewing like the million songs that won Grammys tonight, <laughs> and I know at least ten of them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, that's exciting. Channel Orange by the uh, by the Chris Brown punched Frank Ocean. Uh, <laughs> Can I ask a, a question? I apologize if everybody knows this except for me. Who actually <laughs> selects the Grammy winners? The uh, isn't there a recording academy that like the uh, like the Motion Picture Academy is made up of past winners? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, the, it's literally like what like like recording artists, like singers and, and producers. And producers that, and yeah and stuff. So is they it like a, Bon Jovi is getting CDs in the mail that he has to listen to and vote on? <laughs> yeah, but probably like any like any union, it's not the Bon Jovis who are the uh, it's not a union, but like um you know, it's the sort of it's the majority of people who don't work or don't work anymore. You know, because they're the time they're the ones that that uh, have time to go to all the screenings. So they're the they're the ones whose votes you have to. Wait, so it's Chumbawamba that pretty much (laughs) Chumbawamba is deciding the Grammys. I I just love that if you look at the Grammy website at Grammy.org, there's a page on the Recording Academy, and it has a one paragraph summary and a picture of something that looks like a middle school built in the (laughs) seventies, and it's like this is the Academy. It's in this building. Um, and it's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. It's like the Academy can be proud of its accomplishments or on behalf of its constituency through the efforts of the volunteer leadership and the capable professional staff, the music community, music lovers, and heritage of America's great cultural legacy are reaping the benefit. That is two of the like 10 sentences that explain what the recording Academy is. Uh, and they say yeah. nothing. They say nothing. It's interesting. It's something that I think we've commented upon before in the podcast that we give this authority to these award shows without even stopping to consider like how are these awards picked and like do we do we um you know would we ascribe the same legitimacy to them if we thought more about like who it was that was that was uh you know uh you know tapping the magic wand upon these people's heads and, and deciding if they were good or not. Right. And why do they like like uh fun so much? <laughs> who do you think is going to win tonight? I we, see it's still going on while we're recording. You guys will already know all of the uh, all of the, the the ins and outs of who won the Grammys because you'll have read about it in your paper in your paper newspaper that's delivered to your front step that your dog brings in for you. Because <laughs> we live in a day and age where people care about the Grammys, and it's like 1994. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. And, and we live in a, a day and age where people care about paper newspapers. No, like we are the authoritative source of news. I like to think that for the majority of our audience, we are the authoritative source of news uh, for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have to then we have to teach them what dubstep is. <laughs> <laughs> they have to know because it's the future. Yeah, Bangarang wants best dance electronica album, best dance recording. Uh, like what how many categories do they have this is crazy <laughs> this is i feel like we we are yeah. struck anew by this every year uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. try to talk about i remember why we don't talk about the grammys because we try and we fail we just can't <laughs> do it 
We yeah. can't do you it. You know what I, I – and, and I'm always looking for an opportunity to sort of retell this little piece of trivia. There was one uh, Best Disco Recording Grammy Award given out. So this was 1980. There was, there was a single year that they gave out a Best Disco Recording album, which is like it's easy to sort of laugh and be like, oh, ha-ha, Best Disco Recording. It was, uh, you know, like, like you know, it's so funny that they only got to give it out one year. But, like, the nominees are, like, stellar. Here are the nominees for the, for the one and only uh, Disco Award for, for Best Grammy. Um, Boogie Wonderland by Earth, Wind & Fire. I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson. Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart and Bad Girls by Donna Summer. Wow. Like that, that's was, a pretty strong field. Who was the winner? I, I mean, I think, I think you know who the winner was. It was, I mean, I like, like all that. Who would you have to give the disc? It, it is, it is, uh, I, I Will Survive was the one and only winner of all time. Or, or, you know, I shouldn't say never because they might bring it back. But the one and only winner so far for Best Disco <laughs> Recording at the Grammy Awards. And I feel like that's right. Re- you know, it's funny. It's like you don't think of I Will Survive as like a disco recording. But like a lot of things are disco that we don't, you know, you don't think of Michael Jackson as a disco artist. But, no, you know, no, no, definitely not. Cool. Yeah. But like that song was nominated for Best Disco Recording. And like, it's not like he refused to participate. <laughs> like he didn't like argue with it. No, um, like, you know, like there, the battle, like the award. No. I love that there's a. I'm looking through the Grammy categories. I love that there's a Grammy category for best improvised jazz solo. Uh, I think that's really funny. Uh, won this year by Hot House by Gary Burton and Chuck Corea, soloists. So presumably they recorded. Like they can't say with authority that this is in fact the best improvised jazz solo in the world that happened this year, because presumably many improvised jazz solos are done in a transient manner and are gone once they are improvised. Uh, but these <laughs> happen to have been caught on recording apparatus. And they actually public. can't. They actually can't necessarily demonstrate that they were improvised as well, right? Like yes. you know, presumably Chick Corea could have spent you know weeks at the piano working out his his riffs and whatnot before going into the studio. I hope that there are people in the Recording Academy, like most of the Recording Academy's resources go to an elaborate check and balance system to determine that all the jazz improvised things are improvised. Like they just go to every show, they record all of them. They also count people so they know how many are duos and how many are really bands. Um, best large jazz ensemble, best Latin jazz ensemble. Not that I have grudge they jazz. give out all these Grammys at the show, right? Like, if, you, if you're watching this live, yeah, like no, you're can, not going to see Chick Corea stumble up there right. uh, to get his, uh, his Grammy. No, no, no. They, they, they dispatch Kent, uh, Kate Beckinsale to a uh, hotel ballroom, <laughs> you know, like the week before. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, so gosh, what, I mean, I hear that I hear that Justin Timberlake is 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 all the rage at the Grammys. I hear that what Mumford and Sons played, and they were pretty good at the Grammys. I mean, this is this is interesting that we like. I can feel us all sort of like really trying to dig deep and come up with material uh, for this one, and it's interesting to me that we don't have a lot. We don't have a lot to say about it, and that like uh, it seems to me that our discussion. I mean, our, our discussion of the songs that we like not on overthinking it where we have the musical Talmud series, but you know, in, in natural conversation, our discussion of our songs that we like is more on the level of, I like it. I don't like it. Uh, rather than our discussion of, of movies where, you know, each, like each of the sort of big, uh, prestige movies this year got its own overthinking it podcast. Right. And we, we, uh, I spent a lot of time sort of pouring over um, each one in in some detail. So the songs are like three minutes long, but yeah, we could we could go into it. I mean, let's look at the best. You want to look at like the best songs of the year, the records of the year, the records of the year. Are they there for whole albums or no? They're for individual songs, right? Oh yeah, Yeah. I think record means recording, right? So stronger by Kelly Clarkson, which I did a musical Talmud on. Yeah. is nominated for Record of the Year, which seems strange because the song is not that... I didn't think the song was that good. But more importantly, I felt like the song doesn't really showcase her in a virtu- vocally virtuosic way. right? Like I was not thrilled by Kelly Clarkson singing on that song. Um, it is a little bit more mechanical than uh, Kelly Clarkson's songs usually are, or at least they have historically been. So she's kind of moving in that Usher direction where she sort of adds notes of her own characteristic personal style to the song, but it's not so much her singing uh, in full voice that's being recorded, right? I mean, did you guys, have you guys heard that song? Oh, yeah, 
doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, something little longer. Uh-huh. And it's like, all right, fair enough. Um, we got go check. Problem, like, problematic you know. thonger. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny that, like, you know, if you think back to the early days of American Idol before they, they uh, anointed Kelly Clarkson, um, mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't have thought that, like, they were actually seriously going to deliver the next great American pop star that would like reign for a generation and collect all these Grammys. Like, you know, whatever else you might say about American Idol, they kind of delivered on their promise that at least that first year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Justin Zarembi has not Justin Zarembi. What's it? Call it for this. No, Justin, what's his name? Um, Rini? Justin Guarini. Yeah. Yeah. From Justin yeah. to Kelly, the one that started with it and gave it to Kelly, whatever oh, it was. Wow. I saw that movie a long time. I'm having like all sorts of nomask flashbacks right now. Yeah. From from Justin to Kelly, Kelly has one of the, as recognition as having it for a brief time been the worst movie on IMDb by rating along with yeah. you got served. Uh, <laughs> so I think, which I don't think deserved it, but at any rate, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, so yeah, Clay Aiken, of course, Ruben Stutter, they're going to make a comeback. We've discussed this before. From Justin to Kelly, of course, refers to the, the text messages that he sends to, I believe he has the wrong number. So he sends them to like a, 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 a Kelly frenemy who then like has to decide whether she's going to let Kelly know about that. It was like back in the day when like text messaging was like a very novel and, 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 um, fraught plot device. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, like in Fastlane, when they were they were showing the text messages on screen, it was innovative. Oh, Fastlane! That's another. Um, you're bringing back all sorts of all sorts of uh, ten years ago uh, flashbacks, right there. Man, that so, that was a movie where they that was a TV show where they just like upped the saturation to a ridiculous extent. So like all the colors were like this these like uh, horrible pastels. That glowed mm. in the dark because, like, people were big on McGee because of the first uh, Charlie's Angels movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. Everything was very. There's remember McGee. Yeah, I remember. I didn't McG. just make him up. There, there was a guy named McGee who was like a fairly important director for like a split second. Yeah, Joseph McGinty Nickel. Yep. Right. Yeah. Now he's uh, a an important producer. You know. Now, I mean, he's moved away from I think directing, right? Yeah, he's done everything that you can do as a director. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. what do you guys think of "We Are Young" by Fun? Do you guys like that song? I find the song to be, of course, ironical because it doesn't. It feels kind of heavy, and it has a certain world weariness to the same time that it's you know singing about the the glory of setting the world on setting the world on fire is a strange suggestion to make because it doesn't sound to me like it would be a good thing but that's probably because i'm getting old and it's like i don't want the world to be set on fire that's where i keep all my stuff that's that's the tick jumping in there but uh yeah but there is something about the like the kind of the relentlessly pounding it doesn't have a quality of a lightness right that you associate with like youth and sort of useful youthful partiness the like the Boom, boom, but tonight, boom, yeah. boom, boom, you know, and that like that kind it's, of. Re- it's not party rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, do you? I, it, is there any sense for that song? It almost feels like a super duper meta song for a bunch of other songs that are like that, right? Where it's like. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of like uh, a good example. Well, like like Born to Run. Right, it's like, like oh, we're young. It's better to burn out than to fade away. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 just it seems like they're coming out and stating things in that song than in much more direct ways that are usually addressed with more metaphor, uh, or at least with a metaphor that's a that's like it's such a cliche metaphor that they're using, and that to me seems to add to the kind of weariness of the song and its kind of lack of of what I would maybe describe as like sort of aspiration to generative creativity. You know, it's like not really trying to make something new out of what it's saying, at least lyrically. Um, I don't know. I, 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 there's something about the song that troubles me, and I'm trying to. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I, I definitely don't care for "We Are Young," but I actually really like "Some Nights," which is you know mm-hmm. the other big single by Fun, which I yeah. feel like is kind of sort of deceptively subtle. And like you could sort of look at the lyrics and sort of think about what it what it means. Like, is it literally about? About uh, like going going to war and fighting a war and sort of not knowing like you know is it worth it is all the sacrifice worth it or is it sort of like a metaphor you know in in a way like some nights even though like you know if if you didn't listen to the lyrics at all it has sort of like a similar sort of like a beat fun top forty tone to um 
uh, to We Are Young. You know, it, it has like a very sort of like a what's what's the German word for a, a world weariness? Is it Weltschmerz? Weltschmerz. Yeah. Yes, Weltschmerz. Is that like it's the opposite of like if the We Are Young song is about the sort of like stupid jackass sort of that like let's not even really think through this sentence, but let's go ahead and light the bar on fire just because like we can. Whereas like you know some nights it's sort of like you know like like what's the point? Um, yeah. And I sort of I sort of like that they sort of slip that, and I also have a fondness for happy songs about depressed people. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that one really qualifies. Like, a song that, like, if you didn't know the lyrics, you would not think that it's about, like, somebody who's sort of, like, questioning their own existence. Mm-hmm. So I'm not willing to write fun off as, like, you know, an Andrew WK sort of surface level. Of, oh, no, no, no. Um, they, did, they did just win Best New Artist, by the way. Uh, so congratulations fun. to Fun. Yeah, defeating yeah. Such, uh, such heavyweights as uh, Alabama <laughs> Shakes. Hunter Hayes, the Lumineers, and Frank Ocean. So there you go. Oh, Frank Ocean. Oh, Frank Ocean. He sounds like he should have been around for a long time. He's got that old name. He's got like a name that comes Frank? out of the Las Vegas, or, Las Vegas or Strip. Ocean is pretty much the oldest name that there is, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Sexy and I Know It lost to somebody I used to know. And it's hilarious that those two songs were in competition with each other for best pop duo. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. What do you think of, as long as we're talking about pop songs, what do you think of the Somebody I Used to Know song? Which is kind of interesting because there's sort of a a rebuttal in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that that like, because it's not, I wouldn't really call it a duet, but it does have this sort of like, the the second verse, which is like the opposite perspective, where she's like, that's a completely unfair characterization of the situation. Yeah. and then, and then the, 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 which he, he of course comes back and it is like, yeah, but you didn't have to cut me off. You know, like, like he's, he's unmoved by, by her sort of like trying to rationalize the behavior. Um, but I do think it's sort of interesting that like they, that, that you bring that in. Yeah. Do they ever resolve into unison in the song ever? They ever, is it all counterpoint? Like they're always singing different i mean i counterpoints probably being used insufficiently rigorously there but like it's always kind of like she's singing her verse under him singing the chorus that we all know right yeah i think she's very isolated that like she sings this she's saying almost the way that like in a rap song you would have like a guest a guest artist come in mm-hmm. and and do like a featuring sort of bridge but then yeah. like they just drop out and then and, and the main artist comes back so it's like it's not like they they finish the song together with like you know a sort of like a mutually um you know that they, they sort of agree to disagree it's more like she comes in and she says her thing but then he like comes right back saying the same thing he did before um so i i, I don't know i mean I, I sort of wonder whether he's He's, he, it's a sincere song about like what it feels like to be like cut out of the life of somebody you used to care about a lot or whether yeah. it's sort of like a self-mocking song about the sort of pity party you can have when like honestly like you know you know if you if you, if you could step um, out of your own shoes for a minute you would see that like she has perfectly legitimate reasons for like not wanting to answer your your abusive phone calls yeah yeah exactly and then like the fact that he's you know projecting onto her his like it the, the line it feels so rough like it you treat me like a stranger and that feels so rough and then the rough there is almost like he's personally offended that his life has been unsmoothed because he like wants to be such a smooth person <laughs> like the the sort of you can get addicted to a certain kind of sadness resignation to the end always the end that that speaks to me as somebody who's kind of languidly in love with like velvets and and like comfortable chairs Right, like, and this is somebody who, like, is kind of, uh, you know, wilting in their despair, uh, and and doesn't really understand real discomfort, <laughs> right? Like, there's not a song where it's like, I was chopping wood and it was really hard work, <laughs> and then my hands were all blistered, you know. Like, this is this is somebody who is like, you know, in the opium dens is the sense, and then it's like, oh, you were so rough to act like you didn't know me when we met in public because you didn't want to talk to me because I abused you, and then we we broke up. Um, yeah, 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 it's it's interesting. I I wonder whether I wonder whether to read it as an as a uh, a con a sort of I mean, yes, it is kind of like a, a self bashing aspect to it, but is it like a sort of glorying hedonistic self bashing? Is it like oh, I really enjoy bashing how 
decadent I am about the way that I act about – and I'm not talking about him personally. I'm just talking about the, the piece. Like how decadent I am about how I feel about this bad thing that happened or is it actually really trying to impugn this person as somebody who has, uh, has some sort of shortcoming in the way that they're approaching the situation? I'm saying, how do we fix this? Like, I, maybe that's not the point. Obviously, that's not the point. What are you talking about? The point of that song is not how do we fix it so that everybody's happy, or like how do we like deal with the situation better? Um, and it's like, yeah, somebody. How does it? It's like, but you cut me off, so I realized I have a lot of other interests. Like, no, that's not that's not how it goes. Yeah, you can't like move on. This is like, I don't, I don't even need your love, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. He's like. It's not that like I miss you so much. It's like I'm I'm fine with the breakup, but like what annoys me is that like you're 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 just somebody that right like like you can't even sort of acknowledge that like we used to have something. You can't even give me like boyfriend emeritus status. Yeah. Or um, like I'm really frustrated that you won't acknowledge my self-importance in my sadness, you know, like my sort yeah. of performative anguish that this doesn't matter to you because it matters to me and it should matter to everyone, which is why I'm singing about it on the, on the Sirius XL radio. Yeah. I um, mean, it, I think it's interesting that like you could, you could just as, um, as legitimately read the song, uh, sincerely as like this guy, you know, has completely, uh, he has every reason to be hurt and like, he has every reason to feel that like this woman has treated him unfairly because like she, she's sort of like, you know, She's she's you know he's he's trying to have like a civilized breakup where they can remain friends and she's treating him like somebody that I used to know and then you could also read it like you know like who does this guy think he is that yeah, like he feels the, like yeah. he's entitled you know that that he could break up with her and then dictate the terms of the breakup yeah plus he but also I, I think, yeah yeah I'm, I'm more sympathetic to the second interpretation and in that like maybe everyone's supposed to be but I'm sure like a lot of people. Who are probably going through difficult breakups? Like, listen to this song on like infinite repeat. Oh, breaking you know, news! Yeah. Breaking news! Fun just won best new artist. I just said that like a minute ago. Oh, it fire. just popped up on my on my <laughs> live blog. You you got to hit the refresh button, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to auto refresh. <laughs> I, I manually refresh. That's my main. That's my main skill that I bring to the table Sorry. on this podcast. Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> There's still a new artist just because their song has been played for what seems like a really long time. What do you? What do you think? I mean, on the most basic level, it's kind of an audacious move to call your band fun. Yeah. yeah. Like, isn't it? Like, what are you saying? Like, like, I feel like that's got to be like sort of somewhat ironic. Well, yeah, but here's the thing: they're not just called fun. They're called fun they're called with fun a period. period. At the end. Yes. Right. Yeah. And Even so though the what Wikipedia page is directly like, important. What? Why is the period an important part of the name of the band? Because it makes it ironic. Fun. Period. <laughs> like, what are you up to? Fun. <laughs> period. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's like it's like calling it, you know, exciting, comma. It's it's there's a there's a tension. There's a contrast between the word fun and the period that you put after fun. Because the right. band isn't actually fun. That's why. <laughs> they're not. It's not LMFAO. Well, I mean, they're fine. I'm sure they do great shows. I'm not saying they're bad, but their songs are kind of sad, right? They're like meditative songs. They rock and they have motion to them. But if you had to look at all of the acts that, they're, that are nominated for Grammys and rank them in order of funness, I don't think fun is in like, well, if you have to count like, you know, the gospel, the like gospel is probably more fun than fun. The Latin jazz is probably more fun than fun. Like, I'm, I'm like looking through what categories yeah. have entire categories of artists that are more fun than fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would say Korea is more fun than fun. <laughs> and he's 71. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Once a new musical, Follies, The Gershwins, Porgy and Bess, and Newsies, and Nice Work If You Can Get It, all the nominees for Best Musical Theater Album are all more fun than fun. I don't know. Once, once is kind of a downer. It's a little bit melancholy. Yeah. But it's, 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 beauty, it's beautiful. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Midnight in Paris won Best Compilation Soundtrack for Visual Media, <laughs> which is a wonderful name. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> for, all that, for all that Woody Allen sort of 1920s jazz, that they, the, the sort of big band stuff that they put in there. Yeah. The Grammys feels like if the Oscars still gave awards to silent movies. You know, like, I mean, I know that they're still making awesome new, you know, that Alabama, that like, they're making awesome new, like, uh, traditional jazz albums, and that's great. Best surround sound album. What does that even mean? 
Oh wow! Uh, Apparently, yeah. Prince has Prince has just walked out on stage at the Grammys. Oh Jesus! I'm, I'm manu- I started manually refreshing my. Uh... Nice, nice. That's the game. Is he? What is he doing? Does he have a gun? I said, no, he doesn't have a gun. Um, he has a, a penis that's shaped like a gun in a giant shadow with the wind blowing behind a fabric. Um, yeah, we have to see. We have to see what he's going to do. Yeah, uh, promises by Skrillex and Nero won best remixed recording non classical. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what's the award? Best remix recording. Non-classical. So wait, yeah. because got- there are so many remixed recordings that are award worthy that they need to they need to subdivide it further. Well, there's so many classical remixes that they have to. Uh, yeah, exactly. They have to I'm really, I'm really sort of visualizing like you know some sort of like you know Mozart requiem, and then like Timberland shows up and he's like remakes. <laughs> to be fair, uh, the 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 remix is much better. Of promises than the original. One. <laughs> oh man, I was listening to that song while I shoveled snow today. I was listening all to dubstep on Pandora while I shoveled snow for like four hours. This <laughs> it's great. It keeps you going, man. It's great for calisthenics and for snow shoveling. It's great. Oh, music. Hey, uh, record of the year uh, just got awarded, and it is, in fact, somebody that I used to know. Oh wow. And, that's uh, that's, that's super went right? to the Deutsche I mean, Gramophone Wagner album for the Ring of the Nibelungen. Wait, what? Oh, somebody I used to know won Record of the Year? Yeah. And that's interesting because it is, it is somewhat of sort of a downbeat. It, it's not a dance song, right? It's not a, not a, a fun song. Not fun with a, with a ca- uh, period at the end, but just fun is the general concept of fun. Yeah, So yeah. I don't know. Does that make it sort of a melancholy year in pop Sort of like, you know, that, that pop is like spending a lot of time going through like an old cigar box. Like he had like old postcards and like, uh, um, you know, photo booth photos. Um, well, let's look back. I'm going to I'm going to name some of the best. I'm going to go back and name some of the best records of the last couple of years. The, and you are see you going to name the records of the year Grammys? Yeah, the Grammys. So last year right, it was Rolling it. in the Deep by Adele. The okay, year before there. Little- which is actually a downbeat as well. I'm going to sort of like give them like, you know, either like a happy or sad rating. So that's two sads in a row. Uh, Lady Antebellum's Need You Now, which I, I don't know if I gonna, even remember. I'm gonna, uh, it sounds like it's probably happier than sadder. <laughs> There's Use Somebody by the Kings of Leon. Wait, was that only four years ago? That was only – that was less than three years ago. That was like three years – that was 2010 was the Kings of Leon. Um, wow. Alison Krauss and Robert Plant with pre- Please Read the Letter. And you have to go back to, and then 2000. So there's like three in a row that I don't remember. <laughs> and then Rehab. Yeah, should I feel bad not knowing Please Read the Letter as like a song? Yeah, yeah, geez. Uh, I'm, I'm like trying to, how far back do you have to go before the record of the year at the Grammys is definitely a song that you know? <laughs> right? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like. I feel like if you go back to because we have to have at least three years in a row where I know what the song is. So "Walk On" by U2 won in two thousand two. I don't know what that song is. So we have to go back to two thousand one for "Beautiful Day." I know what "Beautiful Day" is, right? right? That song. Yeah, we know "Smooth." I mean, this is probably because we're old, but whatever. "Smooth" by Santana in two thousand. Nineteen ninety nine, my heart will go on. Okay, there's a, there's a three year stretch where I know I'm all three songs. Nineteen ninety nine, that my heart will go on one. It probably wasn't released as a record until later. Yeah, because I mean, Grammys, everybody, Titanic is 1997, so... Yeah, but it came out in December of 1997, right? So it really came out... Or did it come out earlier than that? Maybe it came out earlier than that. But the Grammys are slow, right? They're really slow. They don't even yeah, have that... actually... This year's Grammys are actually songs from 1996 that they're only yeah. now getting around. Yeah. Hey, Jealousy won uh, one Best New Pop Duo Recording. Wow. Or whatever. Okay, so another uh-huh. song I know. Yeah, so I know all the okay. So I know all the songs going up to two thousand one, going back a while. Smooth, my heart will go on. Sunny came home. Change. Sunny came home. One best song. One best record at the Grammys. Over. Yeah. This is the thing. Doesn't even mean anything. It beat Mbop. It beat I believe I can fly. It believe every day is a winding road, and it beat Where have all the cowboys gone? <laughs> Those were the nominees for best song in nineteen ninety eight. 1999. Yeah, yeah. Then it was Change the World, Kiss from a Rose, All I Want to Do, I Will Always Love You, Tears in Heaven, Unforgettable. 
you have to go all the way back to like 1991's Another Day in Paradise to me be sort of like, I kind of know it. But like, it's basically like, if you go back before 2001, I feel like every song is a major song that continues to be major in the culture, right? And then like, and that like, the, the one that won kind of means something. Sunny Came Home is kind of the exception because it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but it's like, <laughs> You know, Graceland in 1998, Don't Worry, Be Happy, yeah. Wind Beneath My Wings. These are all like – these. Stri- maybe it's just because of their age, but I don't think it is because I just really don't think that like Use Somebody by the Kings of Leon is in the same ballpark as these songs. Um, it's a pretty it just, good song. I, I, I would more say that like read the letter and I feel bad because I'm probably going to like YouTube read the letter and I'm going to be like, oh, I love that song. Um, but like you know, it, it doesn't ring a bell for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I do have to say that, like, if you're looking for a good karaoke song, like, "You Somebody" is great because it's got that sort of like oh, 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 oh that like everyone can help out on in the chorus. So it's oh, like is a that good someone like you? That thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. No, you you'd know it if you've heard it. Down, always looking down, and all that. Oh my yeah, gosh. I don't want to say anything bad about Kings of Leon. I love that song. No, no, it's a good song. I remember it now. It just, I just still don't think it's like "Wing Beneath My Wings" quality. But maybe that's just an old sentiment. Do you, wait, do you honestly like Wind Beneath My Wings? Are you just saying that Wind Beneath My Wings has a certain status in the culture that like cannot be denied whether or not you like it? I was saying the latter, but I also mean the former. <laughs> I also am very much looking forward to the Skrillex and Nero remix of Wind Beneath My Wings. <laughs> Grammy. Did you ever know that you're You're everything I wish I could be. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair Uh, enough. I think we have to leave the conversation there, uh, gentlemen. We didn't even make it halfway through the the record of the year nominees before they announced it and rendered our discussion moot. Because what's the what's the point of analyzing a record if it's not of the year? I feel like the Grammys punched me in the face, and I'm like reeling and trying to keep stay on my feet. Uh, so uh, listen, if you want to join in the conversation and just tell us what what clueless, clueless old guys we are for not really knowing about popular music, uh, read the letter, whatever that is. <laughs> You can. You can email your derision to us at, at podcastoverthinkingit.com. You can phone in your derision at 203-285-6401. Sure oh, oh, sorry. You can say it again. <laughs> I, I've been stomping all over. I apologize. Call, call or text 203-285-6401 or join the, the conversations that always pop up in the comments on the show notes for this episode. We will be back for uh, episode 242 next week. Um, countdown to 250, you know? Yeah. Sort of an arbitrary yeah. number, I guess, because it's, I mean, you know. But, but all numbers are arbitrary, right? right? That was the, that just occurred to me now. Um, <laughs> but it does, it does reflect a whole lot of podcasting. Uh, this podcast will be back next week. Until then, you can see more Overthinking at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. Guys, I'm awarding us the, the Grammy for Best Podcast. I know that went to... Um... It has to be like a subcategory. It has to be like Best Podcast, like Skyped, or, or like Adobe... <laughs> You know, connect, connected. Best, best, best podcast recorded under advanced conditions of drunkenness. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> My red wine is is paleo friendly, Pete. Yeah, Your red enough. red wine makes you feel so fun. <laughs> Was that a record of the year? <laughs>